Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, we are back. Hope you guys had a good all-star break. Uh, I certainly did. Uh, John, I I heard you had the greatest meal of your life, uh, bar none, at my sister's restaurant in Chicago. It was was genuinely outstanding. It was really high-caliber Middle Eastern food. Greatly enjoyed it. Well, she sent me a text uh, that night. And it was a screenshot of their app that just shows how long the table's been occupied. And you guys stayed there for three hours and 58 minutes. <laughs> yes, we did. Yes. Yes. We were, we were holding forth on many basketball topics. It was a, it was a fun evening of, uh, of food and hoops. So yeah. Well, so, so some free promotion for my sister's restaurant in, in Chicago, Galit, where she is the, uh, beverage director and manager but i think where we can start here now we're going to go with a little different topic we cover the entire league and so we're going to kind of do some post-mortem on these teams that we've already eliminated from the playoffs basically just so we don't have to talk about them for another three months or so until the draft uh but i think where we got to start then is a return to our wonderful tradition of eliminating a team from the playoffs here we have only four teams left now but uh john i believe you are up first this time Okay, well, the thing I really wanted to do was wait till the last 10 seconds of the show and then call time out and eliminate the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> yeah, Jim, Jim Boylan, Zach Levine has been caught on camera a couple of times shaking his head at how ridiculous it is for Jim Boylan to call these timeouts down 10 and Boylan has defended those by saying he was brought in to change the culture and they're really working on things and uh apparently the culture change that he's done is to try really hard when the game is already over that 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 is the most important thing he's trying to do at this point so yeah anyway I I don't think they have any chance anymore they're five and a half behind Orlando um and just not you know they have injuries they have other issues going on clearly even if they were healthy I just they haven't made any of the faces that you would expect somebody to make if they were going to get into it i mean there are 38 losses already realistically they could probably only lose about five or six more games and they're and it's over right so I d- well i mean i'm just orlando has had so many injuries the nets have had so many injuries they are supposed to be getting guys back marketing is supposed to be back maybe in the next couple of weeks carter is supposed to be back pretty soon Otto porter might act, i'm sure he'll be on you know a 10 minute a game minutes limit the rest of the year but he's supposed to be back he helps them a little bit there um you know chandler hutchinson is out again now but it's i'm just i can't believe quite enough in the nets and the magic to do it yet but well i don't know let let me see if there's another candidate from the from the west that we haven't haven't done yet i mean i guess i'm down to now spurs sons 
Blazers and Pels in the West and Bulls in the East. I think I'm going to go with the Phoenix Suns, uh, and I'm going to okay. hold on to the Bulls. I mean, I, I may regret this, and also let's not forget too that both of us eliminated the Grizzlies like three months ago, and they're probably the looking like a decent bet to make it. Although. Although, the age, the Jaron Jackson being out changes things. The yeah. Pelicans are, look like they're going to be able to have the tiebreaker. They have a schedule advantage. I, I think New Orleans may have the upper hand in that race, even though it doesn't look like it if you just look at the standings. Uh, but this Jackson injury could not have been timed worse because it comes right after they traded Crowder and Hill, but before Justice Winslow was available. In some ways, I actually respect their not accelerating the timeline here. And really, it doesn't seem like it matters that much for them to make the playoffs this year they wouldn't have moved Mm -hmm. Crowder I mean they got Justice Winslow who knows when the heck he's gonna play now uh with with Jackson being out even Solomon Hill reduced their depth he was playing for them so and also even for trying to the summer of 2020 I mean we talked a lot about that trade obviously when we did our last pod after the trade deadline low those many moons ago but it does seem like they're not even that concerned about getting better for next year either that they're just committed to building with this young group and not trying to skip steps which I, I respect yeah absolutely whatever you whatever you think of the deal itself i think their their eyes were probably in the right place um what, what one thing you do wonder if they might want to have back is james johnson for gorgie gang like i, th- I think gorgie's a better player but if you told them they were going to be without jaron in this key stretch i think they might prefer to have james johnson yeah well i mean jeng does provide some of that stretch element for them uh and jaron jackson was their backup center kind of yeah that's Um, fair that's fair that's a good counterpoint yeah so i i don't know i i haven't had a chance to really lock in on how jeng uh, has looked with that group yet but in in any event phoenix suns adios you (laughs) you guys are are uh will not be making the playoffs according to me so this is good we got a little a little divergence here um yeah, I mean, the Blazers, too. Like, Dame is out. It's really, like, nobody seems this to is, want this. Like, this is a crucial stretch for Portland, too. They got some important games against teams they're chasing. Yeah. I mean, Port- Portland could be out of this pretty quickly. I mean, if you look, you know, the analytics say when they play Simons, things go off the rails pretty quickly. So, without Dame in the lineup, that's going to be tough. Okay, so you've eliminated the Bulls. I, I think it's good that you did. We'll save Phoenix maybe for another time. But I do want to talk about them just to, from a post-mortem standpoint. So, I... I came up with a bunch of categories here. So let's start with this. What grade would you give this team for its development this year relative to expectations? And as a corollary, do you feel better or worse about their future based on this year? I would say C minus and worse. Um, and I would say that for a couple of reasons. Um, there are a couple of key young players didn't make any progress and some of that was injury related. I'm sure. Like, I don't know if Laurie Markin was ever totally right. Um, obviously Hutchinson's been in out of the lineup. Wendell Carter's been hurt. So there's been some of that, but I think also, I mean, Otto Porter, you wonder if he was damaged goods when he arrived from Washington. Um, you know, there was all kinds of, uh scuttlebutt i guess about how serious his hip problems were and whether that would affect the rest of his chain um thaddeus young i think has lost a step would you say that's fair um yeah he's been better since he's moved into the starting lineup now i I think he was playing in a unit that didn't really seem to help him that much uh, with uh you know not having as much space and not being able to get inside they've asked him to shoot more threes i mean i think i think he's helped them he's been a little bit worse maybe than expected yeah and uh 
Kobe White, I mean, we'll see. It's his rookie year. Uh, you know, he's a rookie guard, which typically doesn't doesn't end well. Uh, but he he definitely uh, struggled at times. Let's say I know he had a big game the other night, so we'll see if he can carry yeah, that forward. I, I liked him. Okay, I, I think he's doing about what I expected. I don't think he's been put in a position to succeed. He's played very little actual point guard. Uh, you know, they have this crazy roster with basically have had no healthy small forwards for the entire year. So he's mm-hmm. had to play a lot of shooting guard. He's being asked to take a lot of difficult shots at the end of the shot clock. He hasn't had a chance to grow his game as an actual point guard. I mean, the passing hasn't been great. I think he competes defensively. I, I did a feature on him, uh, last week for, for our pod. And I think he's kind of, you know, on path. My comparison, I was who you think of this actually is like a young Jeff Teague. I think that's kind of what he reminds me of a little bit. Oh, that's interesting. I don't think he's as slippery as Teague was as a younger player, but he probably shoots the ball better. Yeah, but I, like you, I could see his upside being that type of a player, that type of a career of you know maybe a more scoring focused point guard who just uh, you know is not going to be an all star level, but you know be acceptable at that position. You know, we'll mm-hmm. see whether his shooting comes around. I think he competes defensively, like I said. So, um, but anyway, so. I'm surprised you went as high as a C minus though. I think that they, I mean, the, the whole point of this team and this rebuild was we've got these three pieces, Levine, Wendell Carter, Laurie Markinen. Carter has been okay, I think, but the, he got hurt again. Marketing got hurt again. Levine, I think he's been, you know, about what you would have expected, but he's been overmatched as a first banana offensively. Yeah. Certainly. And so, uh, I mean, maybe they're going to have another chance now in the draft, but like this was supposed to be your core that was going to get you back in theory to, you know, if not contention, at least like solid, you know, playoff status in the East. And it doesn't look like they're on that path at all to me. Yeah. I mean, obviously getting 28 million worth of nothing from Otto Porter makes a big difference in the outcome of their season. Yeah. Well, and, and they may get 28 million worth of nothing from him next year, too. Exactly. Exactly. And Felicio, for some reason, just didn't turn the corner this year like we hoped. <laughs> um, so the next question is, uh, is this team on the right path right now? Uh, or are do they need to make big changes in their approach? Whatever whatever that means to you, big changes in their approach. Well, I do think there's going to be big changes. Now, wh- who that involves is still a little bit up in the air. But there's, I mean, there's been scuttlebutt about that for weeks now. And I think it heightened during the All-Star break uh, in Chicago. And so, Yeah, there's some local reports that Chad Buchanan of the Pacers was being interviewed there. Yeah, and... You know, whether that, what that does to Paxson's role, what that does to Gar Foreman's role, whether they bring Boylan back next year. I think those are all open questions. Uh, it, from the sound well, well, so, of things. So what though, is, what is your argument for not making changes? I mean, t- your only argument is that you have to go back like five, six, seven years and say, well, they, you know, they brought in Jimmy Butler and Joakim Noah and like that whole crew and won 60 games. But since yeah. then, it's been, it's been pretty, uh, it, it's, it's been rough. <laughs> yeah. And I think the Butler trade is probably the biggest aspect of their resume in the last few years. And that hasn't looked good. I mean, I think, I think they've drafted about right for where they were. You know, that's the number seven pick. You're not necessarily going to get game changers there, but you know, they're basically now they've gone through this is the third year of pain without Butler. They had a team that was at least winning, you know, making the playoffs that, that was solid around him. They could have continued to build around him in theory. They had some flexibility going forward. And so now they're struggling to even, you know, they don't even appear to be on a path three years later to get back to where they were when they had Butler three years ago. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Boylan, you know, I do respect what they've done defensively with Boylan you, you, because I don't think they've had the personnel for large parts of the year. And so going after just getting this crazy turnover rate is maybe the only way to have a respectable defense. And good offenses completely destroy that uh, aggressive defensive approach in the pick and roll. But the overall numbers of probably, I would say, be been better than the personnel that's been available and they are taking the right shots offensively even if they are not going in from any of the ranges uh the the good spots on the floor that they're taking them so i I mean boylan has all these caricature aspects of him but i'm also not sure exactly when you look from a schematic standpoint of like what i don't think that they've really underperformed the personnel i think it's been more a failure of development than x's and o's coaching to me i I wouldn't i don't think he's like a great coach but i he's you know down on the list to me of like the, what their issues are. I think that's fair. I think the other thing you have to talk about is on the health medical training side that the Bulls have had a lot of issues over the last few years and they had issues again this year and what they can do on that front to put their guys in the best position to stay on the court all season. I, I think that I think those are some questions that they have to start asking really hard internally uh, and that that's been an area where they're where they've fallen behind the rest of the league. Yeah, some of them it's been bad luck, you know, hand injuries, sprained ankles, that kind of I mean, thing. Broken yeah. broken bones, I mean, you can't really do anything about. But a lot right. of the soft tissue injuries and some of the other stuff, uh, you know, should they have asked more questions and looked harder at Porter when they did that trade? Uh, I think there's a lot of question marks you can bring up. Yeah, I mean, things like pelvic soreness, foot soreness. I mean, those, those kind of soft tissue injuries are the things that you, you would hope that you could clean up a little bit as a staff. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you got to just overall feel pretty badly about how this season has gone for the Bulls and they seem and and the bigger concern to me is they don't have a clear path out of it right now no absolutely I mean they're gonna have their their first uh and you know do they bring back Chris Dunn like would it and would it matter if they did I mean like those are those are sort of the questions they're looking at I mean I guess they'll they'll have their full mid-level they could chase somebody there's actually like some halfway decent players out there available for the full mid-level but again this is more at the kind of backup sixth seventh eighth men stuff like that starting five just isn't good enough isn't scaring anybody and i don't know what they can do to change that all right so we've reached a seminal moment here in the pod john is going to join me for his first read ever (laughs) but it's a product that is awesome i have wanted one of these things for a long time they sent us one it's the theragun i was so disappointed i went on this ski trip over all-star break it didn't get here in time before then i could have used it so much for all my aches and pains that came with skiing is if you're not familiar with it you've probably seen it even on on nba sidelines being used on players it's percussive therapy and if you're someone who does a lot of foam rolling or maybe you get a lot of massages this is going to revolutionize things for you my wife actually we just got back yesterday she is has this really sore neck from snowboarding you got to turn one direction she's a yoga teacher so she is getting a bunch of aches and pains she used it yesterday and she's like this thing is unbelievable like my neck pain is almost gone i can like turn my head the right way for the first time in three weeks and have you tried it yet what do you think of it yeah no i've tried it too it's great you you know i uh I work out, you know, not like a professional athlete works out, but I, you know, I get, I get sore and I'm, you know, not as young as I used to be. And, uh, I use this thing, especially on, on my legs, which gets sore a lot. I, I, I have a stand up desk when I work. So I'm, I'm standing most of the day. And, uh, and this thing's great just to, at loosening everything up. And, and it just, it just eases all that soreness, uh, kind of, kind of out of your, especially like on your thighs. 
Um, and I noticed, you know, in my time in the league, like you'll occasionally see trainers like two fisting with them on, on somebody who's lying down. And, uh, and <laughs> you know what I mean? They got they got two of them, which, you know, now we're asking a lot of yeah. people, I guess. But uh, but, uh, you, you know, it's a tool that's definitely used in, in professional sports, too. But uh, I, th- I think it's great just for individuals. Uh, my in-laws actually use it and they're, you know, they're in their 80s, but they, you know, they get all kinds of aches and pains and, and they're using it, too. Yeah, I get these really bad adhesions from working out uh, and, you know, just that one spot where your muscle just feels tight and you don't know why. And Theragun really it just helps to eliminate that. It, it's fantastic even just to, to relax before sleep, even if you're not huge into working out. It, any kind of aches and pains that you have, it, it really does a fantastic job. The, the way to get started with them to feel better naturally, treat your pain and get back to your life. You can try Theragun risk-free for 30 days or your money back. By going to theragun.com slash locked on. That's the name of this podcast network. Locked on theragun.com slash locked on. For limited time, our listeners get a free charging stand with purchase, a $79 value. That's theragun.com slash locked on. And don't forget that slash locked on. Let them know that you came from us. So I'm going to tell you about indeed.com. When you start your hiring process, you, of course, are going to have questions. You're going to find good applicants. What about their education experience? And how will you know that you've made the right hire? Indeed is here to help you. Millions of great candidates use Indeed every day to find their next opportunity. You can post a job in minutes and you can use screener questions to help create your short list of applicants fast. You can also add skills tests to your job posts so you can be confident in your applicants' abilities and not end up wasting a bunch of time contacting people who aren't qualified. Indeed has a library of more than 50 skills tests, which range from industry-specific skills like accounting to general aptitude tests like critical thinking. They give you the smart tools to make hiring decisions quickly and be confident that you're making the right hire for your team. Post your job today at indeed.com slash duncan i get this one not john indeed.com slash duncan and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting that's indeed.com slash duncan terms conditions and exclusions apply offer valid through march 31st 2020 okay so we've got all these fascinating teams uh, that we have uh, eliminated from the playoffs here who else really sticks out to you uh, as one that's going to be interesting to talk about here going forward well, uh, let's talk about Cleveland for a minute here because they, they just, uh, made some changes and did, did some things to kind of position themselves for next season. Uh, obviously JB Bickerstaff is somebody that I'm familiar with from, uh, from, you know, the last two years in Memphis and, He's he's now uh, in charge instead of John Beeline. I think it's going to have a really positive impact on uh, their locker room. I think that's one of his strengths is kind of getting everybody to row in the same direction and and believe in what they're doing. Um, and I, th- I I mean I we saw it when we brought him in uh, when uh, he replaced David Fisdale. That kind of uh, stabilized things and got everybody kind of turned around and focused on the task at hand. And so I, I think in that sense he'll be he'll be really good in that spot. Now it doesn't change the fact that it's the Cleveland Cavaliers and they have the players they have so they, they got a lot of their challenges ahead of them yeah I think obviously beeline the slugs thugs thing they're just the fact that he gave up all this guaranteed money to get out of it shows just how miserable he was how much it, it wasn't working I mean this is probably the most disastrous coach hire that we've had in the last at least 10 years I mean to see a guy want out a, a coach to want out of guaranteed money I mean what does that yeah. ever happen this before? is Right. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. This is right down there with like uh, Larry Brown with the Knicks or something like that. Yeah, except 
Larry uh, wasn't too interested in giving up guaranteed money. I don't think he he was. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most of these guys. I mean, you actually respect Beeline for saying like, you, you know Absolutely. what, like. Here, <laughs> take him, take the money back. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure he also uh, can go back to college and make back a, a fair amount of that. But it, yeah, and I think clearly just getting everyone on the same page, it, so many negative headlines coming out of there it, that JB will be able to help with that. But I mean, again, I'll, I'll ask you the same question. Uh, what grade are you giving them for their development this year? You know, didn't have expectations of making the playoffs, obviously, but you know, how's it looking so far here in Cleveland? Are they on the right path? You, you, I think you can question that a little. Um, just, Kevin, just a little. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, obviously, the, the <laughs> attachment to Kevin Love is is questionable. I think the whole extension. I think they outsmarted themselves a little. Thought there would be trade value there, and there just isn't. Uh, well, well suppo- uh, Jason Lloyd reported that the Blazers offered expiring contracts for Kevin Love. I think they should have just taken that, but they, I think maybe they couldn't take the, uh, the PR hit for that. Yeah. But. To, to get, to get nothing back for him. But yeah, at that, at this point, it's probably a win. I like, I don't know how it gets better over these next three years, uh, in terms, in terms of their return on that contract or, or, you know, whether they, or they have to take back something that somebody else doesn't want. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe there's more window dressing if you take back like a worse contract plus a draft pick. You know, yeah. you can kind of yeah. say, at least we got the draft pick more. But I mean, that's all, that's semantics. That's not, that's not basketball right. value. And, and, right? and there aren't going to be any bad contracts, uh, like at that level, I don't think signed this offseason because nobody has any space anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'd say the one positive thing they can point to was cashing in their Jordan Clarkson stock when they did. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's having a really good offensive season. They, uh, moved off of him. Get a, get a look at Exum. They got him at 9.6 next year. You know, if he can stay on the floor, like he's actually been okay in Cleveland. Um, I think they have a couple things they could maybe point to as positives. Kevin Porter for the 30th pick, like he hasn't been bad. Yep. Like there's some promise there. I mean, I think there were some off-court issues that pushed him down to the 30th spot and they have to manage those. But I think there's some encouragement there. Sexton, I still really question as a starting point guard. Darius Garland uh, has played a little better after a really rough first couple months. Still question his fit as an NBA starter uh, and definitely question the fit of the two of those guys together. They extended Chetty Osman, who, I mean, he's starting for him, but like, is he a starter? <laughs> like, I don't think well, so. Well, here, here's my question to you. Who on this team projects to be like at any position at the top 15 in their position? Not even talking about an all-star, but just a top 15 at their position. I don't uh, think anybody right now. Andre Drummond has the best argument, I would say, um, presuming he's around after next year. And then otherwise, who, who yeah. would you point to? I mean, you could, I mean, you could maybe say Porter in two years could be, you know, could he be a top 15 small forward? Like, I, I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't expect yeah. it He's either. He's kind of more of like, a shooting guard size, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, maybe Garland can come around. I mean, he's coming off the surgery. He didn't play last year. He's looked a little bit better. Um, and they're I, taking, I mean, a zero, yeah. taking a zero on Dylan Windler, their other first-round pick. Yeah. I mean, it's 26. You know, you can't expect to get a ton out of that. But that's, you know, and uh, that that was likened in some of the reporting around Beeline to, like, overuse during the summer leading to, to that stress reaction. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and the other thing with that, which people may not realize, is that most of these guys, especially if they're not top 10 picks, when they come out of that draft process, they are fragged because they have done all these workouts for all these different teams oh, flown all over. So they they are just beaten to hell. So the worst thing you can do is like go pedal to the metal with them right away when, when they come to That's why you'll see a lot of these teams with their with their rookies and their draft picks, they'll pull back in summer league and just, you know, play them selected games or or pull back in some ways. Yeah, which I mean, it's the draft process is just completely insane. I mean, the amount of flying around that some of those guys in the later half of the first round and second round have to do it. Um, so I mean, I, I think that they need a change at the top, which it's it's quite ironic to me. I pointed this out on Twitter the other day that Kobe Altman is the only guy to ever get an extension from Dan Gilbert, and maybe his health complicated that. They felt they just needed some stability there. But I mean, I can point to maybe two moves that Altman has made since the summer of 2017 that I liked even at the time. And then mm-hmm. even fewer that have actually worked out. I think that's fair. I think, you know, the, the thing you never know is how deeply is Gilbert putting his hands in the pie. Um, yeah. I, obviously, presumably right after he had the stroke, not much. But I think up until then, I mean, he was probably as involved as any owner in the league. I mean, you saw him at that Alabama-Oklahoma game where Colin Sexton was playing against Trey Young. So you, you, you had to think he had some input on that Sexton pick in particular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean and that you know sexton was kind of supposed to be around that range that wasn't a pick that i hated at the time obviously players who went a little bit later have looked better a lot of players who went right after him looked worse like kevin knox so it, yeah. it, um you, you go back thought, you go yeah. back and wonder if they had picked shea gilgus alexander if they'd feel better about themselves yeah well his agent did a great job of fixing it so he didn't end up in cleveland you know <laughs> yeah that, that's something we'll have to talk about more when we get it the whole setting up workouts how you feel about drafting a guy when you haven't worked him out all, yep. all that stuff yep. um but no i mean it, it's really hard to say I, I think they've been trying to do the right things it's also uh, the nature of just cap space and the the fact that no one's interested in, in this summer it has hurt them some you can't kind of do the hinky playbook or just take on bad money and and be bad um you know garland i i thought that was the right pick at the time i think they did a good job of not just saying oh we have colin sexton we won't take someone else at this position i thought he was the best prospect at the time it hasn't worked out that great but you know no one who went right after him is looking that awesome either so that's true um, so, I mean, I think it's been a part that they just haven't been able to find those two guys in the draft. But I think everything they've done around them, love extension, the Nance extension, yep. the Osman extension, I mean, the, among many other things, uh, the trade, even back when they had LeBron, the trade to get Jordan Clarkson and give up a first round pick to get Clarkson and Nance. I mean, that really made little sense to me. And there's a lot of, lot of, uh, lot of issues that they've had. So, I, I mean, you can't feel very positive about them, I think, at this point. I mean, if you had to predict the next year that they'll be back, in the playoffs i mean four Woo. years from now five years from now i mean like yeah is there they, a, they don't another have, gen- yeah when when is Bronny james draft eligible yeah well he might be too short to be a small forward too they don't, they don't even have a, a small forward on this team it's yeah. uh yeah uh all right well, well that was encouraging uh <laughs> yeah, yeah can we go to something more uplifting <laughs> right, well okay so so here's a here's a good question mm-hmm. outside of memphis who do you think of the teams that we have eliminated from the playoffs already has the brightest future. I can make an argument for Minnesota because they at least have the tent poles now. 
they, they know what they're going to be, right? It's yeah. It's going to be Russell. It's going to be Russell and Towns. They're going to, you know, sh- shoot a lot of threes, maybe, you know, play defense every third night. Uh, they're, you know, they, they need to upgrade on the wings. They have, you know, we'll see what they get out of Beasley and Wancho and what kind of numbers they can sign them at. Uh, I, th- I think you at least feel okay about like, if somebody told you Minnesota was going to be the eighth seed le- next year, you wouldn't laugh at them, right? No, I, I wouldn't laugh. I think it's more likely than not that they don't make the playoffs. But I mean, yeah, they, they could ha- they could even have like close to a, a I think it, they're looking at a top 10 offense. Like Carl Anthony Towns is really good. Um, they, They'll finally actually have some shooting around him for the first time ever. Yeah, I think um, I'm, you know, and we'll see, uh, you know, that what they get with out of their own pick this year, which should be a very good one. I mean, even in a, even in a weak draft, um, they, they still have the Brooklyn pick this year. Uh, if they don't end up trading that for talent, uh, they should be able to use their full mid level exception. So I, j- I just think they have a lot of avenues to kind of push things forward here. Um, uh, you know, actually the, the underrated thing that I actually think hurt them this year was losing Jake Lehman for so long. I, I yeah. they, they, you know, just having another guy who could play that spot who is like a threat. Uh, yeah. I, I yeah and, and they guard some... him out there because he's white, even though he hasn't really shot it that well. <laughs> Stereotyping is horrible, Nate. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I mean, he, he's. I think he's had more of a career than maybe you would have thought just because of the, because of that. He just assumed that he's a shooter, even though he's never really shot that well in his career. Are but, you uh, are you going to say he's surprisingly athletic too? Uh, yeah, he's got that kind of volleyball player bounce that that yeah. Chase Budinger kind of reminds <laughs> me of Chase Budinger. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Minnesota has the best player probably of any of these teams that we're talking about. We've now eliminated 11 teams each from the playoffs. Carl mm-hmm. Anthony Towns is by far the best player on any of these teams, I think. Uh, I think that's fair. And I mean, that, and that's probably what it, I mean, except for Golden State. Obviously, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're I was going to say category, other than Steph but, Curry. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, so who would be the second best player on these teams that are eliminated from the playoffs right now? What about De'Aaron Fox? Yeah, you've been on this that he's been looking really good since he came back from uh that what was termed at the time a, a, a grade three ankle sprain. Yeah, and he, I mean, he's been playing at a really high level. They've been, uh, they still haven't really been able to get Bagley back out there. Um, you know, but they're in a weird spot with Buddy Heald, but. I don't know. You just look at their team next year. They'll probably have Bogdanovich back. They'll have Belitsa back. They'll have Bogdanovich. They'll have Barnes. They'll have Bagley. Um, you know, they thought they would make a run this year. They'll have Rashawn Holmes back, who's still on their book at five million next year. They'll have another high pick, which they miraculously haven't traded yet. So you look at all that, like, okay, they're not that good this year, but they're not that bad either. So imagining them taking a step forward, it, it doesn't, doesn't require like mind blowing logic here. Yeah, I just I don't see the ceiling for these guys. But then again, I mean, when you look at all these teams, I don't see a ceiling for any of them, right? When you're thinking about, oh man, we're if we're gonna be this bad, you know, at least there are better days ahead, right? Like we're gonna get draft picks. I, I mean, I think that the fate for all these teams could be you know who they draft the next couple of years because I don't see any of them really. Uh, I, I mean, and again, Memphis is in a totally different category. Like, they, yeah. I really love their future, but uh, I don't see any of these teams as like looking like they have a path to be a team that's getting out of the first round of the playoffs. Maybe you know they'll sneak in as the seventh seed in some of these years and maybe you could say atlanta atlanta would be the other one that's worth talking about yeah uh 
just because, I mean, you have Trey Young, you, you have, we haven't seen Capella with them yet, which I'm really interested to see. John Collins has really played well for the last month or so. Uh, Cam Reddish, after being a tire fire for the first two months, has actually come along okay lately. I still don't know what he's going to be and if that's going to be playable on a night-to-night basis on a good team, but you can at least talk yourself into him now. You know, Herter's not bad, I, you know, and all these guys I think are going to get better over the next year or two. So uh, I, I think there's a case to be made there. They're still sitting on a ton of cap room. They're going to have their own first round pick, which should be high. Uh, they're, they're in a pretty good place in a lot of, in a lot of ways. How, how do they become good defensively? Uh, I think is the biggest question. Obviously they need to get another, another quality guard there. So it's not all on, on Trey Young as well, but you, you can start, you can start seeing it come together a little bit. They have 46 million in space. So we got to see how they use that. I mean, that's going to be a, a huge factor. Yeah, I think so. And do Hunter and Reddish develop defensively? How good is Capella now that he's outside of Houston? can Trey get to be the 429th worst defender instead of the 430th worst defender in the NBA? Yeah. Big questions for that. Yeah, definitely. The interesting thing with Capella is can Capella be Capella without neutralizing what Collins is for them? Yeah. And we've seen Collins stretch his game out, shoot more threes, but I still don't know that that's a shot that's scaring the other team. Like, I, I still feel like they'll live with him taking that. But if that, if that shot becomes good enough to become a threat where he's like, okay, he's 38%. We got to get out there. I think that can be a game changer for the Hawks. I just really think Trey is, is good. I mean, Towns to me is the best player on these teams. Trey to me is the second best. You know, maybe if Fox keeps up with what he's doing, he's up there. But I, I think Trey is just, I mean, you saw it yesterday or, or two days ago, that Mavs game. Yeah, they're shorthanded, but like they double teaming him at half court on every possession. Like you should be able, like when the, he forces yeah. you to change your scheme that yeah. much. Yeah, exactly. Like, that is the foundation of a really good NBA offense. And yeah, he sucks defensively, but I think you can find the pieces around there. So I'd probably, despite the fact that I've been down on some of the stuff that they've done over the last couple of years since drafting Trey, I still think they probably have the brightest future of this group, especially because to me, yeah, I know Towns and Russell are together now, but I still, in the West, I don't see how they're getting out of the first round. And, you know, the clock's ticking already on Towns. They, they got a little more time with Trey and they're in the East. Yeah, I think both those things are true. Um, uh, are we giving short shrift to the Washington Wizards? So that yeah, that was the next one I wanted. Well, well here to let, let's uh, let's take a quick break. We'll talk about them. I lost track of time here. One sec. I want to tell you about one of my favorite sponsors ever, Masterclass. Whether it's for the polymath in your life, or if you or someone that you know really wants to get deep into. A new subject like my wife, who is working on improving her writing skills. She loved Margaret Atwood's writing class. Masterclass lets you learn from the best. They've got exclusive access to online classes taught by masters of their class. They're adding them every month. Now they've got Gabriela Camara, Max Mexican Cooking, Bobby Braun, Makeup and Beauty, David Sedaris, one of my favorite humorists, humor and personal essays, Neil deGrasse Tyson, scientific thinking and communication. Of course, basketball fans know that Steph Curry's shooting and ball handling is a staple of Masterclass. Serena Williams on tennis, tons of great writers, actors, chefs. 
you can get unlimited access to every masterclass and 15% off their annual all access pass at masterclass.com slash PR. Easy to remember because John Hollinger invented PER. Masterclass.com slash PER for 15% off. Masterclass annual all access pass. That's masterclass.com slash PER. Okay, so before we went to break, we're going to talk a little bit about the Wizards' potential future. Does does their future involve stopping anybody? Yeah, that's uh, that's a bit of a concern. Um, I, I mean, when you look at, presumably they're going to bring back Bertans. You know, there is reporting which I, I had heard as well that the Celtics uh, made a significant offer for Bertans uh, and were turned down. So clearly they're going to try and bring him back. Rui is part of their group. Troy Brown on the wing. They don't really have anything. It's I mean, I think really what could transform this group is if they could find a game changer defensively at center, and then maybe it all falls into place for them. Yeah, because right. I mean, right now you're playing these other guys, and then you have. Thomas Bryant and Mo Wagner is the backstop behind them. That's that's just not going to work. And and we've seen yeah. it. I mean, they're last in defense, or they're toggling back and forth with Cleveland. I don't know who has who has the title as of this last writing, but um, they they and really on the perimeter. I mean, yeah, Troy Brown's are you know he's okay defensively, but they really don't even have perimeter defenders. I mean, Beal no. Beal when he tries, I guess, but he hasn't played any defense this year and. Yeah. John Wall was pretty good defensively in 2014. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's John Wall going to be when he comes back next year? Is he going to be, yeah. I mean, is he going to be a plus player? Let alone, I mean, I don't think there's any chance he's a $41 million player, but is he, you know, can he at least be a, a decent starter? Can he be a top 20 point guard in the league? Yeah. And if he's not, he's kind of a tough guy to fit around due to his lack of shooting ability and needing the ball. Yeah. And is his transition game, which was so awesome back in the day, is that still going to be a weapon coming off the Achilles surgery here in his late yeah. 20s? Yeah. The the only positive is even if he lies down and takes a nap at half court, he'll still be a better defender than Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. And even, probably even Ish Smith as well. I mean, it's still, <laughs> he at least has some side yeah. size. Uh, I mean, there, there was a time I used to call him the greatest shot blocking point guard ever. Uh, but you know, those days maybe those days the, are probably, yeah, probably gone. Uh, Wizards, another team that'll, that'll have a high pick. Again, this, this is not a great draft, especially at the top. You, so you're not getting a, a game changer here and their pick, they've actually won a little too much lately. Their pick may not even be that high. Um, they, they gotta get, I mean, Beal is a, Beal is a heck of a player, but I think they gotta get some uh, more help on the, on the perimeter. They actually, I mean, defensively, they're not good at the four and five, but they have offensive players there. But man, on the on the like, who's the second option on that team? Yeah, it's Bertans yeah, I mean, off and a I pin think- down, I guess. But like with the ball in the hands, like who's who are you giving it to? Well, and I think people might be like, oh, wait, you know, like the, their offense is really good. All they got to do is shore up the defense. They could be pretty good, but their offense is good because their defense is so bad. They're just playing all of these offensive players who can't defend. Like it's easy yeah. to have a good offense if you're willing to accept having the number 30 defense. Yeah. Cause that, yeah. Cause the pers- personnel you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let me ask this a different way then, because okay. I, I think we're kind of you know, Beal. I, I mean, I think it's probably more likely that he is not a wizard than that they make the second round of the playoffs in these next couple of years while he's still on the team. Um, so maybe this question is really more about whose management do you believe in the most uh, among these teams? 
And uh, that's a difficult question, I, I think. I, I, I think mean, we can eliminate Sacramento from that conversation. Yeah. I, you know, Detroit, I, I mean, I do appreciate that they're at least kind of breaking things down, trying to rebuild. Detroit uh, has I, at least yeah. acknowledged reality, yes. which, which they hadn't a year ago. So they, they've taken that step forward, which, I mean, that's a big step for a franchise yeah. to do that. Yeah. Um, and it seems like, the, you know, there's reporting that Tom Gores has finally realized that maybe, you know, chasing the AC every year is not the greatest. I don't know if Ted Leonsis has realized that. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're just looking at, you know, I really like what Tommy Shepard and company have done overall. I would say they've started working the margins in ways that the previous administration didn't. But the ownership there, I think, is going to maybe put some pressure on to get back to the playoffs. You know, everything is indicated that he really, really cares about, you know, just making the playoffs. And yeah. if, if that's what you're trying to do, then your management, of course, is going to respond to those incentives. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, the, to me, the willingness to move on from Beal is, is really the indicator of, of, of whether they're looking at reality or whether they're just, you know, trying to be Charlotte for the last five years and chase 39 wins in the eighth seed every year. Yeah. I mean, I guess uh, of, of these teams that we're talking about, we haven't even mentioned the Charlotte Hornets yet. I mean, they're really mired as well. I'm not a huge believer in their administration. And this is basically almost a carbon copy of the bottom 10 in our organizational rankings that we did it a few months ago right there's there's a lot of overlap here <laughs> yes <laughs> you know the the t-wolves uh their their new crew i mean it, they're unproven too but they at least come from good places and their moves so far have not raised any real red flags um so well, it, Cul- the culver draft i thought was a little could Cul- Culver has not looked good. I, that is no. fair. I, I mean, it, he's getting like 15 minutes a game off the bench now that they got in like Beasley and Hernan Gomez and uh, Kogi is starting over him. So I'm, and we'll see how this Russell trade works out as well. I mean, obviously, I think from a value standpoint, they did okay, but, and they wanted to keep Tom's happy. Uh, and uh, supposedly they've accomplished that. It's according to your partner, John Krasinski, he's really raring to go to, to get back out there with this broken wrist. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I, and they work hard. You know, I thought they did some good trades at the deadline. So yeah, maybe, maybe I believe in them the most uh, of these teams that we've been talking about right now. I mean, I would say probably Memphis would be the one I believe in the most, uh, you know, of the teams we've eliminated. But again, they're, uh, they've had some more lottery luck and they're, yeah. they may make the playoffs now. Yeah. I mean, they obviously, I mean, with the Grizzlies, I mean, it was fortunate that we went 22 and 60 in the year with a loaded top five of the draft. And the yeah. odds were different that year too, where, even though we fell out of the top three, we didn't get the lottery luck that year, but we still ended up number four and were able to pick Jaron. So, and then, then being number two the, the following year in an okay draft that was great at the one and two spots. So could, couldn't, couldn't have lined it up better almost. So I, I guess what the conclusion I'm kind of coming to here is like, and we haven't mentioned the Knicks either. I mean, we know, we know, uh, yeah, what, what, what they are at this point in time. I mean, we'll see if the Leon Rose era, uh, changes that at all, but I mean, not a ton of reason for hope on these teams that we've eliminated from the playoffs right now. I, you know, I still think, you know, if Sacramento can just get out of their own way that they have, that they have some reasons for optimism there. Yeah. Um, but they still have this huge Bagley conundrum, right? It's, and that to me is hanging over the franchise of, are you still trying to build around him? Are you seeing him as a foundational piece or are you just going to kind of say, Hey, all right, if he works out, that's fine, but we're not going to try to build everything around him anymore. Yeah. Which is obviously the thing that makes sense, but they have this sunk cost from not drafting, uh, 
you know, a couple of the guys that went behind him, especially Luca. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they handle that because, yeah, I mean, that's the rational thing to do right now, probably, but I don't know if it's emotionally that's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, if for Sean, they're going to have for Sean Holmes be their starter and he's good, I mean, that's you're kind of, you kind of are doing that because I don't think those guys can really play together that well. And, and maybe he's Bagley is just your backup center. You give him those minutes and he's got to earn more than yeah. that. I mean, point. they tried bringing in Deadman to have like a stretch big to play yeah. alongside Bagley and that didn't work either so i don't know what yeah. the uh i don't know what the alternative is to, to be fair i i thought that was he was a good fit I, I i liked the theory of what they were trying to do there it just didn't work out yeah and they paid him about 30 million dollars too much too <laughs> Let's see. Let's see how he looks back in, in Atlanta. I, I still think he's he's a decent player. I don't know how does he looked the, these last couple. I mean, of years he either. was you know he was okay last night, but I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like he's not a starting center to me. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll lock horns on that another time. And, and who knows? Maybe he's just done. I thought he was good the last couple of years, but uh, uh, yeah. So so, but by the way, I think they they gave him. Did they give him like thirty million guaranteed? <laughs> was that? It, what it was you yeah. Just said they paid yeah, him thirty was, million too much. Yeah. Uh I you know I'm probably exaggerating a little bit here but yeah they they over I want to say the total was 41 million and yeah. Uh, there's only one million guaranteed in the last year, so there's only twenty eight million about that's guaranteed, uh, depending okay. on what happens with his incentives. So, all right, so 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 he's worth less than the minimum per season. Is what is what you're telling me? <laughs> okay, he's 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 worth the minimum. He's, he might even be worth the biannual. Oh man, that that that's, thirteen uh, that, thirteen and change slander. a year, definitely not. Yeah, well, when you can get him back for basically seven million a year, which is you know when you subtract trading Jabari Parker for him maybe it, it looks a little bit better um all right we'll take another quick break here and then we'll do a uh, little Holland journeys to close thing out David Harrison here the locked on Washington football team podcast celebrating with you a 21 grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to Dave's killer bread I don't know about you guys but when I eat pizza I eat it for the toppings not the crust and when i eat a sandwich it's for what's inside the bread not for the bread but when i throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds thin sliced bread from dave's killer bread it is the epitome of addition by subtraction that thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste killer texture killer nutrition a subtle sweetness and a seed coated crust dave's killer bread is america's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking Good. Dave's Killer Bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-GMO ingredients and is power packed with whole grains, fiber, and protein. Visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for Dave's Killer Bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store. What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls, and I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new Sirius XM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode.
So one other thing I wanted to mention, Danny LaRue and I, my partner on Dunked On, we're actually going to be on NBA.com live calling a game, Grizzlies versus Clippers on Monday night, 7.30 Pacific time. We'll be tweeting that out at Nate Duncan NBA. Uh, or you can go to nba.com. It's their NBA TV's feature called Front Court, where Danny and I are going to have an analytics-focused broadcast with Roe Parrish. You can actually see the game in the same window. It will be over the footage of the game. First chance to actually do that for an NBA game. So that's really exciting stuff. Hope you guys can tune in to that at 7.30 Pacific on Monday. Um, and to be fair, John, what did you write about for The Athletic this week? We, I can't monopolize all the promo time. <laughs> sure. Well, I took a I took a spin through the draft and talked about some players that are undervalued that I think uh, that, that I think aren't getting enough attention uh, or maybe are, are seen a notch lower than than kind of how I how I see them. I've had some time to get out and, and see a lot of college players. Uh, and then I got some interesting stuff uh, coming this week on uh, uh, there's a there's a certain owner who had some thoughts on officiating and that story of mine should be out soon. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that one. So it, here's what I wanted to talk about here with Beeline moving on. When the hell do you know to fire a coach? Like, what are the indicators that, I mean, because obviously these guys all get fired with guaranteed money. Beeline gave his back, but that's usually not the case. Like, how how can you even know when it's time to give up or when, hey, you know, there's actually still reason to believe that it can get turned around? That is... The uh, very loaded and difficult question a lot of times and an easy question some other times. Um, I mean, sometimes the coach will tell you himself, quite frankly. Um, Like literally just like, hey, it's not working here. It's not working here. You know what? You don't even have to pay me for the next three years. (laughs) You know? That, that that case is a little extreme, but uh, yeah. there, there's definitely been been cases where that has happened in the league, and then you know the press releases massaged or whatever. But behind the scenes, there's kind of a, an understanding between the coach and the GM that okay, this really isn't working out. The other thing I will add in this: this is a level of decision where the owner is 100%, absolutely, positively, definitely going to be heavily involved and have input on this. Usually, you're asking the owner to eat money in future seasons. Um, obviously, it's a hugely important person in the hierarchy of the franchise that the owner is probably going to have a fair amount of contact with and probably has had a fair amount of contact with and has certain thoughts about. Um, so there's there's always going to be that lever uh, that, that becomes very important as well. You know, I think, I think it's hard because you don't want to you don't want to create instability. You don't want to have things uh, kind of crumble. It I mean, just it's looks bad. It just it, looks it bad. Just looks ba- no, it's, a, yeah. it's an admission of failure in some level, right? Well, it, well it, not only from a franchise PR standpoint, but also perhaps just from uh, you know the moral hazard of the GM where, you know, people, there's a an adage of like, well, You've you get X number of coaches as a GM before you're yeah. on the hot seat. Yeah, I mean certainly you're you're using quite a bit of political capital if 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 this move is originated from from the front office. The, there's no question about that. Now sometimes it's originated from the owner. Sometimes it's originated from the coach. But if if it's something the front office wants to do, yeah, they're using a significant amount of political capital in order to do that, and you can only go to that well so many times. 
So I want to see what you think of this. It is my belief that teams generally, both with the executives and with coaches, more often wait too long to f- to fire the guy and move on, uh, as opposed to do it too early. Boy, I have a hard. I, I mean, time. if if your sole goal is to win, you know, yeah. I mean, there are many other considerations. There's money. Yeah. There's keeping your own job if you're an executive. Yeah. There's PR. But if your sole goal is to win, I think that teams hang on to guys for too long. I actually think, I mean, the lifespan of coaches in the league is short enough right now that I think it produces a lot of negative incentives where they're just going to, I mean, their incentive is to kind of ignore everything else and just try to win the game that day, which because they, they see all the evidence around the league. So no matter what they're told by their particular team, right, they're... The thing that's going off in their head is like, well, my buddy over here just got whacked. This guy over here just got let go. You know, this guy, this guy I know I've known since my twenties has been, you know, fired three times in five years or something. Like they, they all have stories, right? And so I, I think because of that, it get, it gets it gets very difficult to. Uh, to, to undo that incentive. And it gets the shorter the tenures go, the harder that becomes to get to avoid having coaches who are just there coaching for today. And as an organization, you need that. But all of all of the incentives in the system produce the opposite, right? Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes even coaches will will feel like I'm coaching for my next job right now. Like I can't take all these L's on my resume. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, yeah, or just yeah. This is this is what my record is going to be, and now I have to now I have to go and sell that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So because this is my thought, and I've said this a couple of times in other places before, but I don't know if you and I have talked about it. That it's very very difficult to actually evaluate who is going to be a good head coach if they've never been a head coach before. And so, and I'll tell you the other thing, it's really hard to do it from a job interview too. Like the job interview you want to give them is here, take our 10 guys and, you know, go play a bunch of games with them for a month, (laughs) you know, and then then we'll find out if you can do it. But to, uh, to talk to somebody who hasn't been in that chair before and then try to divine whether they can, they can do the job of managing your team is incredibly difficult. Um, you know, I think it, I think it, I think that's one reason why teams have, uh, gone more to guys who have experience head coaching in the G League because yeah. there's a track record then they can go back hmm. and look. Um, you know, you can go back and look and even watch games of theirs and say, okay, well, what did they, what did they do in this situation? What were, you know, what did they call out of that timeout? What did they, you know, what was their strategy like? And, you you just don't have that when you're just promoting somebody who's an assistant who's never held that title before. Yeah, and there's also obviously dealing with egos that managing the player side of which you know is probably fifty percent of the job right there is keeping your players happy. It's always a house of cards. You're always going to have you know probably nine of the fifteen players on your roster who are unhappy that they're not getting as much playing time as they would like to. Um, so I I mean I think to me though this is why I think you that teams should move on more quickly is you don't know and if you look at some of the greatest coaches in nba history pat riley was you know an interim replacement he was gonna like share the the coaching duties i think with jerry west Mm -hmm. at one point you know match johnson basically demanded that paul uh paul westfall uh or sorry paul west head be fired 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Phil Jackson was an assistant. No one had ever heard of him. Greg Popovich, who thought he would be a, a good coach. You know, Nick Nurse was kind of a fallback for Toronto after they didn't get Mike Budenholzer and they had fired Dwayne Casey. And now he might be the best coach in the league. You know, Brad Stevens came from college. So, and there are plenty of guys who have totally similar resumes to them that just didn't work out for whatever reason and got fired after a year or so. To me, I think it's all about. And I guess the second part of my principle is, you know, most of these guys, especially now, I don't think there are that many just like terrible coaches in the league compared to maybe like five, 10 years ago. And so you've kind of got, you know, an average coach. There's a lot of those who are kind of out there. What were you really going for is let's find one of those top five coaches, top 10 coaches. And so if it's clear that the guy that you have isn't that, it would be nice to be able to just take another bite at the apple until you do find that guy who's going to coach your team for the next 15 years. But that's obviously easier said than done because all the factors we've talked about. And most of these guys now are on to that fact to the point that, uh, you know, the contract is a whole part of this we haven't talked about. But sure. when these guys sign four and five year deals, you know, they buy themselves some security too. The owner's probably not going to, not going to want to eat that in year two. Yeah. And, and so maybe you would even say, Hey, let's hire coaches who are less well known, who don't have as much power, shorter contracts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, th- someone that we can move on from quickly because maybe these credentials, you know, getting someone out of Michigan, to, for example, for, uh, you know, a five minus one contract at four million a year that that's, you know, there's no indication that that guy is going to be better. You know, it's one thing if it's like, okay, this guy's coached at the NBA level before he's been really good. You know, that's then, okay, I can see paying a lot for those guys, you know, really good. I'm talking about not like Scott Brooks in Oklahoma City giving him right. seven million a year right. for the Wizards. Um, but maybe, maybe that's. That's maybe that's what the approach should be. But I mean, obviously, again, it's very easy for me to sit here in my chair and talk about how these guys are disposable. And if they don't look that good early on, you move on from, them, uh, you know, versus actually doing that for PR and money and personal relationships and all that. Yeah, it's interesting because it, they definitely matter. But quantifying how much they matter is challenging at best. And, you know, that... <laughs> <laughs> that's what makes it. it's it's more art than science i mean absolutely just evaluating these guys let alone the decision on hire fire just just trying to evaluate who's who's good and who's not uh you know and you can get into a lot of debates with people very quickly about i think this guy's terrible well, i think this guy's great and the hard part is that on the outside you don't see under the hood that much you see what their decisions are in lineups you see what plays they run but you don't kind of see how they manage the room which in a lot of cases is the most important part yeah, uh, that's, I mean, or, I mean, I guess maybe you just have to say, well, no, if there's no noise coming out of there, you must be doing a decent job. <laughs> well, and <laughs> if they, if they're, if yeah. they're actually trying on defense, I think is the other kind yeah. of tell. Yeah, I, I guess maybe that's what we can close with is just, uh, and, well, actually, not. let's say that for when we actually do our coach rankings. That, that's going to be a fun podcast. We can talk more about like what our criteria are for evaluating coaches. Um, so we'll tease that, uh, for next time. So, uh, uh, thanks for listening here. Uh, please, uh, as I mentioned, check out uh, our uh, NBA.com. Uh, me and Danny tomorrow night for Grizzlies Clippers uh, at 730 Pacific. And uh, John at The Athletic. Uh, you can find all of his work there. And we will talk to you all next week. Till then. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. 
From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.